Well, for a couple of months now, we have been talking about how our homes can become places of belonging, where the members of our family, both immediate and extended family, where they can find a sense of place in this world, the sense that they're part of something bigger than themselves, something good and, and beautiful and enduring. We went to the scripture together, and we've learned that our homes become places of true belonging when we practice values like faithfulness and trust and restoration and nurture and intimacy, faith and presence. And our hope and prayer is that as we pursue these things, as we practice these values, that the people we love, the people who we call family in this world, whether they're under our roof right now or not, that they might come to find that sense of belonging that's so important to us as human beings. But as hopeful and as helpful as all this has been, it raises some difficult questions. What about people who live alone? How do you find a sense of belonging when you come home each day to an empty house? What about people who are far from home? Any of us, perhaps, who whose schooling or work relocates to, us, to some new part of the country where we have no family or connections? What about those who have emigrated to this country from some other country or find themselves in a very different culture? What about those who have not been able to find belonging in their own home, whose homes have been dysfunctional at best and destructive at worst? How do you find a sense of belonging when you don't feel safe or loved or valued at home? These are very personal and, and even painful questions that many in our congregation have raised as we have walked through this series. Where do human beings find belonging when they can't find it in their own homes? So I'm glad we have one more week to spend on this theme and one more value to add to our list. Hospitality. Hospitality. Now, that may seem like a lightweight in comparison to things like faith and trust and faithfulness, but we're going to discover today that hospitality is not only an essential virtue and a biblical value, it is a distinctively Christian value. I made an interesting discovery as I was doing some research for the message this week. I was trying to get a handle on how deeply our culture values and practices hospitality. So I did what we all do. I went to Google. And, and, and I Googled hospitality in America or statistics on hospitality. And I found that no matter what phrase I typed in with the word hospitality in it, every entry that came back was either about the hospitality industry hotels and restaurants, or about hospitality in the Bible. I could hardly find one entry on good old-fashioned, have somebody over for dinner kind of hospitality. And that's when it struck me that hospitality is a fading value in our culture. People are watching Bobby Flay cook on TV. They're redesigning their interiors and building designer kitchens. They're buying up culinary gadgets and gear. They're just not having anybody over for dinner. <laughs> In fact, my guess 
is if you're going to plan on meeting some friends for dinner, you're more likely to open an app on your phone and find an open table in a restaurant than you are to open up your own table or your own home to some guests. So maybe we need to spend a few minutes in the scripture and understand exactly what hospitality is, why it's so important, and why it's so distinctively Christian. And then we'll look at some practical ways we can begin to practice hospitality in our homes and our church. Now, in a few minutes, towards the end, Pastor Tom from, uh, from Wilmington is going to come up uh, along with a member of the congregation there and share some practical ideas as well. And then we'll end our time together appropriately around the communion table. So there are actually a surprising number of references to hospitality in the New Testament. We only have time to focus on one. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. 1 Peter 4. Peter writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, this is a portion of a letter written by the Apostle Peter to Christians who had been scattered by persecution. And so most of these readers were living far from home, away from family and friends, and many of them living in hostile territory where they were being persecuted because of their faith. As he comes to the end of the letter, he's reminding them that, that Christ could return at any time. Now, we know from the rest of the New Testament that the early Christians believed that Christ could and even would return in their lifetime, that, that he would come back to, to finish the work he'd begun with his first coming and, and to bring the kingdom in all of its fullness. Now, they weren't wrong to think and live that way. We know from the New Testament the Lord wants all of us in every generation to live with a sense of urgency and expectancy about his return. What they didn't realize was how very long they and we would live with that sense of urgency. So how should we live knowing that Christ could return at any moment and bring this era of human history to a close? Well, Peter tells us we should be doing at least three things. First, we should pray. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Well, that makes sense. If time is short, we certainly want to be praying for ourselves, for those that we love, and for the world around us. Secondly, we should love, love each other deeply. Well, that makes sense too. If you only have so much time left, you want to invest it doing the thing that matters most, which is loving the people around you. So pray and love. And then thirdly, we should practice hospitality. Wait, what? The end is near, therefore have a dinner party? That's what Peter is saying. The end is near, therefore offer hospitality to one another. Now the first two make perfect sense. Pray and love but offer hospitality? Is that really the most important, urgent thing we can do if the end of all things is near? It turns out this is one of just many 
references the hospitality in the New Testament. Peter talks about it here. Paul talks about it several times. The writer to the Hebrews mentions that Jesus talks about it. So what are we to make of all this? Why is hospitality so important? Well, for one thing, there are very practical reasons. In the ancient world, there was no hospitality industry. There's no sprawling network of hotels and restaurants and coffee shops. If you're on the road traveling, the inns that were available to you were limited in number, first of all, as we know from the Christmas story, and they were generally unclean, uncomfortable, and unsafe. So if you were traveling in the ancient world, you pretty much had to rely on the hospitality of relatives or even strangers. And because Christ followers were a persecuted minority, they were especially dependent upon the hospitality of brothers and sisters in Christ. For another practical reason, there were no church buildings in the ancient world. And so if believers were going to gather for worship or for fellowship, it had to be in homes. And those gatherings often included a meal and usually the Lord's Supper. And so if Christ followers didn't open their homes and open their tables to each other, the church could hardly function at all. So there were some very practical reasons hospitality was so important. But there's something else going on here, something much deeper. It turns out that hospitality is very near to the heart of God. We should think about the meaning of that word hospitality for a minute. We haven't talked about that yet. We hear hospitality and we think about dinner parties and overnight house guests. When the Bible uses the word hospitality, it's a much stronger word than that. The, 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 the Greek word, the original language of the New Testament, the word is a compound word, philoxenia. Phylos, the root word for love, and xenos, the word for strangers. Hospitality, according to the Bible, is the love of strangers, the love of outsiders. Philoxenia is the opposite of xenophobia, which is the fear of strangers, which, which we unfortunately hear too much about in our culture today. We are called to philoxenia, the love of strangers. And so hospitality is about welcoming people into our circle, especially people who would normally be outside our circle, people who are different from us, people who are not likely to be part of our circle unless we intentionally open up to them. And it turns out that is exactly what God has done for us, welcomed us into his circle. Let me take you back for a minute to an image that we have looked at here before at Grace a couple of times. It's a famous 15th century icon by the artist Andrei Rublev. It's a portrayal of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, enjoying fellowship with one another around a table. Now, there are all kinds of fascinating things we could point out about this icon, and we've done that before, but two things I'll quickly call to your attention. First, notice that there's kind of a circle thing going on here. There's a movement, there's a circular feeling about this whole image. The second thing I want you to notice is that space 
at the table in the foreground of the, paint, of the picture. Notice, first of all, that it's wider than the space that exists between the other two figures. And notice also the way it's front and center, the way it almost thrusts itself towards us. The artist is inviting us to the table, inviting us, the viewer, to come take a seat, to come share a meal at the table with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, it's an open table. There's room for us in the circle of God. Now, this isn't just the artist's fanciful idea. This is, this is the very heart of God's creative intentions. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoyed perfect community with one another from all eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were not lonely. They were having a wonderful time together. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit chose to create us in their image in order that we might enter into and have fellowship with them, that we might join them at the table. That's the reason God created in the first place. It's also the reason God came after us when we decided we'd rather sit at our own table. In the book of Galatians, we read this. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That word sonship simply implies full legal status as sons and daughters, heirs, inheritors. That's how serious God is about this. We, we're not just house guests. We are full-fledged sons and daughters of God. We're not just here for an, a meal or for an overnight stay. We're invited to join the family, not just for a lifetime, but forever. So now we begin to understand why hospitality is so important to the Christian faith. When we open our circle to those who are outside our circle, we are doing just what God has done for us in Christ. I think that's worth saying again. When we open our circle to welcome others who would normally be outside our circle, we are doing what God has done for us in Christ. Which means every time you have someone for dinner, every time you invite someone for a cup of coffee, every time you let someone stay with you overnight, you are living the gospel of Jesus Christ. No wonder hospitality is such a big deal. So let's kind of summarize it this way. Our homes become places of true belonging when we value hospitality, welcoming others into our family circle. When we open our homes, when we open our tables, when we open our hearts to people, especially when we offer it to those who might not find belonging otherwise, to those who are alone, to those who are far from home, to those whose own homes have fallen apart, when we open our homes and hearts to those outside and welcome them in, we are living the gospel. We are doing for others what God has done for us. 
So what are some practical ways we might go about doing that? How can we in everyday life extend hospitality? Let me give you some very simple ideas and then Pastor Tom will come and offer a few others. For starters, you could throw a dinner party. Good old-fashioned dinner party. We just went to one last night, actually. A handful of us from Grace Chapel got together. It was pretty simple. We all brought something to eat. Enjoy time around the table. We talked about work and kids and church. Played a goofy game. And as we drove home that night, we all felt like we belonged somewhere. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to impress anybody. Sometimes simplest is the best. You're going to eat dinner anyway. You might as well invite someone else to come have it with you. And if you're married, don't forget to include some single folks. And if you're single, don't hesitate to reach out and include some married people. You could host a life community, a small group, a student group in your home. Even though we have wonderful church buildings today, there's something powerful and intimate about being with a group of people in someone's home, sharing some food, catching up on each other's lives, studying the scripture, and praying for each other. You could reach out to people in your neighborhood, people who might, uh, might not otherwise make a connection. Back in the day when our kids were younger, Karen would, would once in a while host what she called a bus stop brunch just inviting moms to come back to the house for coffee after they drop their kids off at the bus stop. If you have a new family in the neighborhood, especially someone from another culture or place, why not be the first one to open your table to them? You can host play dates at your house, giving your kids' friends an opportunity to, to find out what it's like to be in a Christ-centered home. If you have teenagers, I'll encourage you, stock your refrigerator and your cupboard with food, food and drinks, so, so that your house becomes the place they want to hang out. We used to encourage our kids to have the sleepovers at our house on Saturday night so we could keep an eye on them and make sure they went to church the next morning. You're going to go to church when you sleep at the pastor's house. It's just the way it is. This past year, I've done three weddings for young men in their 20s who grew up sleeping in our basement from the time they were middle schoolers, and it feels like they're part of the family. You get the idea. All kinds of simple, everyday ways to welcome people into your circle. And when we do that, we're doing for others what God did for us. But there are also more bold and challenging ways to offer hospitality, to offer it to people in our culture and society who perhaps are in most desperate need for it. So I'm going to ask Pastor Tom from Wilmington and Allie Broughton, uh, also from Wilmington, if they'll come and share a little bit. Can we welcome them for a minute? Thank you, Brian, and uh, greetings, friends. It is so great to be with here, you here this morning. Um, I'm on the platform with Allie Broughton, who is a member of the Wilmington Congregation and also one of the folks who's the coordinators of Grace Chapel's grassroots ministry called uh, Home for Good. Now, Home for Good Network is, is a network of folks who are committed to helping church, the church care for foster and adoptive and kinship care families, uh, those families who have literally opened their homes 
uh, to care for kids who often come with, uh, from, from really difficult and challenging places. Um, we'd love to be able to share just for a few minutes about two things in particular around this topic. Uh, first of all, we just want to raise the flag a bit, uh, raise awareness of this critical need for many, many kids in our community that we live in. And secondly, we want to offer how it is that the church might help to create places of belonging uh, for these kids and their families, these kids who are made in God's image and who come in need of, uh, of real love and support and care, and families who are doing that. So we want to give you just a brief glimpse into what brings us each to this yeah. place and into this topic in a very personal way. Um, I, uh, and my wife and I have a family of four. We have four children, and two of them came to us through the process of, uh, of foster care to adopt. Um, through the Department of Family and uh, uh, Children and Families here in Massachusetts. One of our kids came to us through the process of private adoption, and one of our children came to us through the process of my very own wife giving birth. So <laughs> sometimes when Julie is asked, which one came through which means? She said, you know, I, I can't even remember anymore, uh, which is to say that we love them all dearly and as equal parts of our family. And uh, we'll leave it for you to decide who is who and who came from what means. Uh, so my day-to-day -day life is so much different than Tom's. <laughs> uh, Tom asked me if I wanted to put a picture up, and quite honestly, I don't even have a goldfish I could share. Um, <laughs> I am single, uh, I have never been married, uh, I live alone most of the time. Uh, I expected I would get married and I expected I would have biological kids and be a foster parent and most likely adopt through the foster care system and that hasn't happened yet. Um, and that's okay. Uh, professionally, um, I've been a social worker and uh, first for a state agency for many years and then currently I'm a counselor at a therapeutic middle and high school. Throughout my professional experiences, I've encountered kids and teens living apart from their biological families, really from, uh, through no part of their own. In my work, I've been able to support many of these kids and understand how their experiences impact their lives in very deep ways. And as a Christ follower, I feel a responsibility, but also a great joy in supporting kids and families uh, in which foster care, adoption, or living with extended family is part of their story. So even though right now I don't feel I can, I can foster full-time or adopt, I provide respite foster care. So for me, this looks like having a kid in my house maybe for a night or a weekend or sometimes even a couple of weeks. Um, the other thing I do is up on the North Shore, um, I co-facilitate a foster care support group for moms. And uh, moms come who have, are experiencing foster care or adoption um, and have these kids in their house. And uh, sometimes they're just even thinking about maybe this could be part of my story. Mm -hmm. uh, really significant stuff that Allie is up to. She is in it uh, deep. Um, but today in Massachusetts, there's approximately 10,000 children who are placed by DCF into uh, families that are not their biological uh, families. Some with other family members, thousands of them are placed into foster homes. Um, some are in residential programs. And some kids will end up being adopted through that process. But currently, there are about 1,000, uh, and some will make their way back to their biological home. But currently, there's about 1,000 kids who are ready and uh, waiting for an adoptive family and just haven't been placed yet. Uh, so something that the state is very attuned to. But the question is, what does all of this mean for the church? 
Well, the fact is we know that in all of our campuses uh, at Grace Chapel, there are folks and families and kids who are living uh, this experience. This story is their story. And uh, we believe that we can all be a part of providing a place of belonging for kids in these families and supporting families that are making their way through this journey. Um, how do we do that? I'd recommend that there are four simple ways that we can do that as a community. And the first is simply this. Come alongside a family who's making their way through this process. Come alongside of one family who has chosen to adopt, who has chosen to foster, or who is in the midst of uh, providing kinship care. Uh, as with parenting uh, of any kind, Every child brings with them their own, uh, you know, unique mix of beauty and challenge. Is that right? And all the parents said, amen, <laughs> right? Um, and the truth is that, uh, that every parenting responsibility comes with it. It's distinct sacrifices and love on the part of parents for each one of the kids. Um, but with many children who come into our homes through foster or kinship placement or adoptive care, uh, they come through the route of some turbulent season, uh, through some turbulent experiences. Um, many of them are very sudden arrivals into families' lives. And of course, uh, many of them come with a variety of social or physical or emotional uh, or developmental hurdles that they have to overcome as they make their way through life. And so often it's through the simplest of ways that families can experience the support of a church community. I remember when our two girls, who we uh, brought into our home when they were infants, uh, when they came into our family, we got a call the night before, and we had two human beings, twins, uh, infants, in our home the next day. And uh, I remember our need for support, uh, very physical, tangible support. And our life community came around, and other friends came around to provide meals at that transition point, to provide rides for our older kids. Uh, to provide childcare. Babysitting. Thank you. Uh, Allie was in our living room, as wow. a matter of fact, during that season. Um, all these very simple, tangible ways to support families through that. Uh, we have a family in the Wilmington campus who just a couple of weeks ago decided to bring a sibling set of four into their home to care for, and four under the age of seven. So here are these kids who are coming into this family. We saw them traipsing through the, uh, the lobby over there. And, uh, and it was great to see a, a, a woman posting on Facebook uh, an open registry for anyone who wanted to come and tag and log in and, uh, and purchase some things for this family to fill their home and to ready them to be parents. So really simple, tangible ways. Maybe, maybe you know a family that you can come alongside of. Uh, one of the other things that is so important, though, is really uh, to think about becoming educated. You know, as uh, it can really impact about how we serve kids in Kidstown as well as youth group as, um, as well. So when I think about kids with difficult stories and specifically who've experienced disruptions in one way or, or another, we can really learn about how this impacts, this like loss and trauma impacts kids. Um, you know, disruptions impact how kids learn and react and cope and trust. And it impacts not just for a few weeks or a few months, it's really um, years that uh, this impacts kids. And if we really learn as a church how to best support kids from hard places 
and care well for them, we are really helping them consider that God is caring and trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on a personal note, uh, I was subbing for someone in Kidstown a few weeks ago, and um, one of the kids was just having a hard time. And uh, they weren't really into the group activities, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And I was trying to figure out what my next move was going to be. And honestly, I just remembered their last name. And I went, oh, this is a kid from a hard place. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I'm going to change how, how I approach him just a little bit. And, um, and it worked. I was a new person to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm really hoping that if we learn about how these kids, um, uh, what we need to do for these kids, that it really helps them to feel heard and cared for in mm-hmm. our church. Uh, Home for Good has been able to offer uh, training for trauma-informed care at Grace Chapel over uh, in the past. And uh, again, they're gonna be hosting a simulcast conference at the Wilmington campus. If you'd like to be informed around these issues of uh, trauma and connection, April 5th and 6th is going to be when that conference is held. So informing yourself, becoming educated around these themes. Well, thirdly, a third way that you might, that might uh, help you uh, help us as we consider how to be a place of belonging um, is to simply invest in one child for over the long haul. Investing in one child over the long haul. What this means is uh, simply recognizing that healing and trust for kids is built over many simple moments over a long time. And uh, if, that, if there is one caring adult that is invested in one child over the years, that can have a very significant impact and effect on the well-being and, uh, and the, uh, the maturing of, the, of that child. And it also develops an incredibly powerful bond between an adult and a child. And Ali, you've experienced that. Yes, yeah, so I have. It's, it's a hard story. But uh, personally, I've had the privilege of walking alongside a young woman I came to know when she was uh, 12 years old. And now she's 31, and she has kids of her own. And for her, a forever family was never found. Um, yet, over time, I've come to know um, that God put us both in each other's lives. Her early years have really impacted how she views herself, the world, um, and God. And we've had many, many conversations, and some of them have turned to faith. And really now, in her very best moments, she knows that God loves her. Mm-hmm. Mm. I am humbled that I've been part of her journey. Um, Her life has truly impacted my own deep understanding of God's love. Mm. And really, the most important thing I did initially was showing up for a a once-a-month visit. Mm. I have my tissues ready to hand to you, Allie. You made it through. (laughs) Made it. (laughs) Because that is a story. You know, finally, as we uh, come around to the fourth point, uh, maybe there is room in your home for one more person. Maybe you would be a person who would consider what it means to open your home to another person, to be a part of your family. It could mean that you embrace the possibility of adoption or caring for a foster child for a season. Uh, You know, in the face of the significant needs for so many kids around us, so many kids, you may sense that God's nudging you to be part of the solution for just one child. To provide a home and a place of belonging It could be that recently you've started to take notice of an empty bedroom in your home, or you've been recognizing uh, an openness in your heart, space in your heart for another person. 
Now, I, I believe that not everyone is called to this. I don't believe that, that it's a responsibility of every family who has an open room to have a child filling that room. <laughs> because that would be naive, quite frankly. And some of the kids wouldn't quite like the home that they'd enter into. You know, we need to be ready for it. Uh, but the fact, how great would it be if the church became part of the solution to a problem? Because at the end of the day, every child needs a place to call home, right? So God may be moving you in this way. I'll use my tissue now. Uh, maybe you're sensing a leading of God, a willingness in your spirit to consider this unique way of providing a place of belonging. Um, if that's you, then I would encourage you to learn all that you can before you move forward. I would encourage you to prepare yourself well, talk to people, build a community around you that you begin to let them know that you're thinking about this so that when that happens and if God brings a child into your home, that you are well prepared and that we are ready to help you and to support you as a church. You see, this is, this is the reality. No one person has to do everything, but everyone can do something. No one person has to do everything. But together, we all can do something. So thank you very much. Thanks for letting us share this morning. Thank, thank you, you, Brian. Well, thank you, Tom and Allie, for helping us envision some broader and bolder ways of offering hospitality to the world. And thanks to the many of you and all of our congregations who have opened your homes to children. You have not only blessed them, you have blessed us. Our life as a congregation is richer because of it, and I trust we might continue to grow in the ways that Tom and Allie have described to us here today. Friends, true belonging is a wonderful thing. To have a sense of place and people in this world, that is essential to human flourishing, and it's near to the heart of God. But where do people find belonging when they can't find it in their own homes. They just might find it in your home and they certainly can find it in the family of God. That's why we value hospitality, welcoming others into our circle because when we do that, we are doing for others what God has done for us in Christ. And we have an opportunity to celebrate that great truth today to remind ourselves that we are part of God's family by coming together around the communion table. And let me remind you, it is an open table. There's room for you at this table, for anyone and everyone who wants to become a child of God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. There's room for you as we come to the table. So I'm going to pray for us as we get ready to come to the table together, and then one of your pastors will lead you in your time of communion. Let's bow as we pray. Father, we don't use that word lightly. We say it with reverence and warmth and awe and gratitude that you should call us sons and daughters that you should have made us for yourself, that you came after us in the person of your son who lived and died and rose again for us in order that we might belong to you and to each other now and forever. For those of us who have found that sense of belonging, we are grateful for it today. 
For those of us who enjoy it in our earthly families, we are grateful for it as well. We pray for every household here today that we might pursue and practice these values that we've been learning in order that we might enjoy belonging in our households, but also that we might be able to offer to the world. Meet us now at this table. Give us a sense of your presence and our belonging to you and to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.